again, it's very good to have everyone out uh, this morning for our worship of God. I appreciate all the men who are uh, helping in the service to, to help make sure that we are providing those things that God has required us to um, provide for Him for worship. Um, even in sickness, people are willing to do it. Even after surgeries, people are able to do it. And, uh, and so it's just very good to uh, see the dedication for the Lord every Lord's Day. We're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we will conclude chapter 5 today. There is an end to chapter 5. Um, and so this is going to be part 10 of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, when I've studied it out, I'm seeing vengeance versus love at the end here as he's closing out in chapter 5 which man put chapter breaks there so really the continuation is chapter 6 chapter 7 but as we conclude chapter 5 uh, this is seems that the message that Jesus is really trying to drive in home to them the first point that we're going to look at this morning is physical altercations physical altercations that we may come in contact with in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus says, Ye have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, the problem is, is it's, in the, it's in the Old Testament. It is clearly in there. But it was not for them to seek self-vengeance. The law was set, and they were supposed to bring it before either the elders, before the, as we had talked earlier about their courts, they would have courts in each uh, tribe. And so they were supposed to bring the, the matter before others. And then when it was determined that there would be a punishment, then you would go to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But it was not man to seek that vengeance on his own. Many times when you read it in the Old Testament, it says to bring it before the elders, uh, the, the, the older members of the children of Israel, and bring it to the ones that are wise, right? And so, but the Pharisees and many of the children of Israel twisted it to say, I can have vengeance on my own accord. And so courts would have made these rulings, uh, the the legal system that God had put in place with his people, those were the ones that were to uh, determine the punishment based on the word of God. As Sean had read for us earlier this morning in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. He's telling us, do not seek revenge, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When we're that angry and we want to avenge, put it to the side. Cool off. Think about it. We are not to go out and uh, many times if we do it instantly, we're not really thinking clearly. We're thinking out of anger. God does not want us to seek vengeance. God has a day set aside when he will cast vengeance upon everyone that deserves vengeance. When we were studying the book of Genesis uh, several months ago, 
We remember the brothers Levi and Simeon. They decided to take matters into their own hand. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 1, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And so Dinah went into the city of Shechem. That was, that was not a good move on her part, but that was also not a good uh, an oversight of Jacob over his, his house. Um, to allow her to go into the land of Canaan on her own. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 2, And when Shechem, notice the city is named after him, the son of Hamar the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and he lay with her, and he defiled her. Shechem defiled Dinah, and it appears that it was not consensual, Genesis chapter, 31, uh, chapter 34, verse 4, And Shechem spake unto his father Hamar, saying, Give me this damsel to wife. And so Shechem fell in love with Dinah, and he desired her, her to be his wife. That should be desired her. He seems he is used to getting what he wants. Um, if you read verse 3, it talks about how his soul clave to her, and he loved her. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 13, now he's coming, uh, him and his father, they come to Jacob's house, and they're desiring to have Dinah marry Shechem. Well, the sons of Jacob are going to inter intervene. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 13, and the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar, his father, deceitfully, and said, because he had defiled this Dinah, their sister. They intend to seek their own justice when Hamar comes asking for the hand of Dinah to marry Shechem. It all goes back to they're seeking what? Vengeance for what was done to their sister. In Genesis chapter 34, verses 14 through 16, And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach upon, unto us. But in this we will consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. And so they're requiring all the men in the city of Shechem to be circumcised. But remember, God wants his people to be separate, separate from the people of Canaan. He doesn't want them to be one people. He wants them to be two people. He wants his people to be separated. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 24, And on the Hamar and on the Shechem his son hearkened, all that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. And so they listened, and then they came and told the men, and the men were in agreement, and so they were all circumcised. In Genesis chapter 34, verse 25, and it came to pass on the third day when they were sore, the two, the two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. They went without honor. They waited till the men were unable to defend themselves. Their justice was not righteous. They used deception to carry it out. And they slew all males instead of just punishing the one that was guilty, Shechem. 
How did Jacob feel about it? In Genesis chapter 34, verse 30, And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. They tarnished Jacob's name in the land, and they put the whole family at risk to be destroyed, being just a few compared to the multitude of the land, the land, the Canaanites and the Parasites. When the blessings are given, um, and I believe that the blessings are linked to God. And Jacob speaking, but I believe that these were um, no doubt what God intended. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. And so they had devised a plan of cruelty. We're going to get you circumcised. We're going to get you sore. When you're not able to defend yourself, we're going to come in and slew you off. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 6, O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. My, my honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down the wall. They had not Jacob's blessing in what they did. They did it on their own accord, but they acted out in anger. They didn't put wrath to the side. Genesis chapter 49 verse 7 it says cursed be their anger for it was fierce and their wrath for it was cruel I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel their anger was very fierce the problem was was their wrath their wrath is what resulted in the cruelty of their devised plan Their blessing from Jacob was more of a curse. They would be scattered when they went into the promised land among the other tribes. We had looked at this when we studied in class, but Joshua chapter 19, verse 1. And the second lot came forth to Simeon, him being the, the second child, even for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within, within the inheritance of the children of Judah. And of course, we know that the tribe of Levi would not have receive a land inheritance. They would be the Lord's, but they would be what? Scattered throughout all the tribes. How should we react if we are not to seek our own vengeance? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We are not to fight back. They were not to seek vengeance. They were not to fight back. We should seek the laws of the land to protect us just as the Jews were to under the law of Moses. They were supposed to bring it before the elders, bring it before the courts, and then the law, they would use the wisdom of God's word to determine the punishment. But they were not to do it on their own accord. Remember Stephen when they ran upon him and they just stoned him. They didn't give him a trial. When they brought the woman who was caught in adultery, they wanted to stone her. They didn't give her a trial. They weren't, 
They weren't bringing it before the elders. They weren't bringing it before the courts. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it, Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. You don't, you don't repay someone that treats you evil with evil. Two, right, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. We hear that, we've heard that for many, many years. And so when one does evil to us, we should not look for a way to get even. That's not what a, the, a Christian mindset should be. Why? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Well, that's very hard when someone's doing you wrong to give them a blessing, to hope the best for them. Knowing that you are thereunto there called, that ye should inherit a blessing. And so we've been called to be Christians, to be as Christ, knowing that the hereafter is much better than the present. That's why we have that change of heart. Point number two this morning is personal property or not to seek vengeance about personal property Matthew chapter 5 verse 40 and if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat thy coat let him also have thy cloak also it's better to come to terms before it goes to court so if the if the man is, is going to take you to court and sue you and take your possessions it's better to not even go to the court system. It's better to work out your differences before it gets to that point. But what is our mindset to be about material possessions? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. And so it's very hard for us to let go of possessions because we worked for them. I know how I felt over just like uh, driveway markers when we came home one day and they were just gone. You know, uh, we bought them, but someone else is using them. So I hope they've had many years of blessings with them. But we are not to covet as being children of God. We are not to trust in riches being children of God. And we are not to store up being children of God. And so we're going to have some sub-points on about physical possessions. Uh, sub-point number one will, will be do not covet. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer writes, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And so we are to uh, not to covet what others have. We are to be content with our own possessions. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, having food and raiment, let us be what? Therewith content. We know God knows what we need. And God says as long as you have those things that you need or require for life, then be content. That's what Paul's saying. If we have those bare necessities, then we should be content. Why? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If we are content and we're living godly lives, that's 
the best life that you can live. Contentment. God desires his people to be content with just the necessities. Let's go back to the children of Israel and their uncontentment. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And so they were supposed to gather uh, each day, and then on the sixth day they were supposed to gather twice as much because on the seventh day they were to gather nothing. Uh, and so that was the law. Well, what, what, what did he give them from heaven? In Psalms chapter 78, verses 24 and 25, And had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. And so God gave them straight from heaven. He poured it down. They had to do nothing for it but gather it up. Were the children of Israel content? God was meeting their necessity, right? They were complaining that you brought us out of the land of Egypt to die. We had bread when we were in Egypt, and now we have no bread. God rained down bread. In Psalms chapter 78, verse 18, And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. He gave them meat, but that didn't, that was not making them content. Oh no, we got to have meat. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. How dare you give us manna when we had it so good in Egypt? Did they have it so good in Egypt? God was providing them the necessity, but they desired something more luxurious. They wanted meat. So God gives them what they desire. Numbers chapter 11, verse 18. And say thou unto the peoples, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Numbers chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you. You won't want this meat anymore, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we poor foul of Egypt? Not only were they not content, they had no thanksgiving to the Lord for what he had done for them. What else did God do to the uncontented? In Psalms chapter 78, verses 29 through 31, So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. Remember, it was their lust. They were not estranged from their lust. He gave it to them. It was there all around them. Came out of their nose. But while their meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them, and spoke down the chosen men of Israel. All because they were uncontent with the Lord. They gave him no 
um, thanks. They were not thankful for the Lord. They desired to go back to the Egyptians. They desired to go back to bondage. And so they perished in the wilderness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. If our desire is to be rich physically, we could lose our soul eternally. How? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. And so at the root of all evil is the love of money. Unfortunately, in our day and time, money is what drives man. If you have money, you have much influence. But when you covet after it, you're going to err from the faith because you're going to do things that are not godly. If we are truly content, we will be willing to let the physical possessions go. We won't desire to have what others have. Subpoint number two is do not trust in riches. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, this will be in the next chapter, but lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And so what happens to those treasures on earth? They corrupt, decay, ruin. Thieves desire to steal them from the rich. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 Solomon writes, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And so if we trust in our riches, we're going to have a great fall. Because riches are going to fail. They're going to rust. They're going to decay. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul's writing there, and he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. He's not saying don't be rich. He's just saying don't be uh, high-minded because you have much possessions. You're, you're better than other people. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. But he's telling them not to put their trust in uncertain riches. Put their trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That high-mindedness is arrogance. And you put not trust in things that can be stolen or ruined. Many people who lose their, lost their fortunes turn to suicide as their way to deal with it. Especially in the uh, Great Depression, when the stock market crashed, the, many of those people turned to suicide because they couldn't handle it. And many times these investors are not ruining just their lives, but they're losing the people that trusted them with their money. What should the mindset of those who are rich be? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. The rich should be willing to let go of their possessions to do good and for good works. With this mindset, they too will not care about their physical possessions. We read of a man that had much possessions in the book of Acts. It would be Acts chapter 4. We read of Barnabas who had much land and he sold it and he gave it to the church. 
He had the right mindset. He didn't care about his physical possession. He cared about the needs of others. In doing so, they will have something far better. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 19, laying up in store for themselves, who? The rich. A good foundation against the time to come, that would be the day of judgment, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Subpoint number three this morning will be do not store it up. Do not store it up. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Plentifully. Well, God's blessing the man. It wasn't necessarily anything the man did because it says the ground brought back, brought forth plentifully. We nowhere read in the, the parable where the man gave thanks to God. Luke chapter 12, verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And so he was blessed by God beyond measure. And he chose not to distribute to others, but to keep them to themselves. It's his fruit, my fruits. Luke chapter 12, verse 18, And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And so he was a wasteful man, because he tore down perfectly good barns just to build greater barns. Luke chapter 12, verse 19, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. See, laid up, not, not, not for others. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so he was selfish, and he's also wanting to become slothful. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Well, what is he saying? All these things that you're storing up in these barns, when you die, they're of no use to you. Why? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We were born naked, we're going to leave naked. In Luke chapter 12, verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. They're a fool. The mindset we should have, if, if God blesses us, let us bless someone else. With this mindset, the physical possessions doesn't matter. So if someone desires a coat, if you don't have no attachment to that coat because you have attachment to God, the coat doesn't matter, give them the cloak also. Point number three this morning will be go above and beyond. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it has been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Well, we've already studied the law was actually telling them what? To love God and to love man as thyself. That's not the mind of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Well, this is hard to do. These words are going to be hard for us to do, but you better listen to them closely because this is what Jesus is telling us to do. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. 
And so we want the best for them. When someone does something or says something to you and it hurts, Jesus says you pray for them. It's not that you're praying that you're just praying that they'll have that change of heart, that change of life, that they'll be able to get their life right and if they have not obeyed the gospel, that they will obey the gospel so that, that one day they can have that home in heaven. That's our desire for all men. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Paul says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When we're treated evilly, we love, we bless, we pray, we do good things. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, And whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twenty. Why come to ill turns about service? If, you're, if, if your uh, neighbor, you don't get along, if they need help, Jesus is telling you, you go and help them, but you go above and beyond. You give them more than they ask for. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter writes, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, what? By your good works, which they shall behold, they'll be able to see these good works, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's overcoming evil with good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 that ye may be, okay, so you're going to do all these things, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth forth, he sendeth rain on the just and the, on, on ah, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God blesses the evil and the good with sun and rain. We too should bless our enemies to truly be children of God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 46 For if you love them which love you what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And so Jesus said go the extra mile in your love for others. Matthew chapter 5 verse 44, 47 And if you salute your brethren only what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Go the extra mile in greeting those that cross our paths. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22, Solomon says, If thy enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. If he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. That's overcoming evil with good. Your kindness will make their conscience suffer. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So think about this. About God's love towards us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Remember, we want to be perfect as he's perfect. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, when we, were, when we are sinners, what were we to God? We were the enemy of God. 
But God sent his son for the whole world. His love for mankind, even though we wanted to be enemies of God when we sin willfully. Because of Christ, we are spared from the vengeance of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, Christ's blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We'll be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. Vengeance will only come to those who are not found in the book of life. Because God loved his enemies. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserveth wrath for his enemies. And so if we're not in the book of life, God will take his vengeance then at the day of judgment. Because anyone that's not found in the book of life is his adversary. Anyone not found in the book of life is his enemy. And his wrath, the blood of Christ will not prevent the wrath of God from, from, from that day. This morning, if you are uh, not a Christian, we encourage you to become one so you too can experience the purpose of Christ dying on the cross, and that is to escape the vengeance of God because of the wickedness of man. It starts by hearing the Roman, uh, word of God, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then we must believe and uh, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth on the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto you salvation. Then you must repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 2, 38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. At that point, you're added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as you can say. But God requires us to be faithful to the end, Revelation 2, 10. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in the prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee a crown of life. See, Jesus says that even after obedience to the gospel, there's going to be temptation. You've got to overcome temptation. There's going to be things that are going to come against you and are going to try you. But don't, in, don't go at it with a, a heart of vengeance. Go in it with a heart of love. God is love. John chapter 4. Ooh. I want to say 16, but that's not right. That's not right. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God expects us, if we want to truly be children of his, we have to enter every situation with love. Perhaps you have obeyed the gospel, but something has come in your way. You've stumbled along the way, 
if we can help you in either way, if we can come, uh, help you, if you'll come to the front, as together we stand and sing the song of encouragement. Uh -huh.